Romans chapter 6, verses 1 through 23. What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? By no means. How can we who died to sin still live in it? Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death, in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. For if we have been united with him in a death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. We know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing, so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. For, the one who has di- for one who has died has been set free from sin. Now if we have died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. We know that Christ, being raised from the dead, will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over him. For the death he died, he died to sin once for all, but the life he lives, he lives to God. So you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. Now let sin not therefore reign in your mortal body to make you obey its passions. Do not present your members to sin as instruments for unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life, and your members to God as instruments for righteousness. For sin will have no dominion over you, since you are not under law, but under grace. What then? Are we to sin because we're not under law, but under grace? By no means. Do you not know that if you present yourselves to anyone as obedient slaves, you are slaves of the one whom you obey, either of sin, which leads to death, or of obedience, which leads to righteousness? But thanks be to God that you, who were once slaves of sin, have become obedient from the heart to the standard of teaching to which you were committed. And having been set free from sin and have become slaves of righteousness, I'm speaking in human terms because of your natural limitations. For just as you once presented your members as slaves to impurity and to lawlessness, leading to more lawlessness, so now present your members as slaves to righteousness, leading to sanctification. For when you were slaves of sin, you were free in regard to righteousness. But what fruit were you getting at that time from the things of which you're now ashamed? For the end of those things is death. But now that you've been set free from sin and have become slaves of God, the fruit that you get leads to sanctification and its end, eternal life. For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Now, when we were last together a couple weeks ago, we saw that we have been saved and we are already sanctified, but in the process of being sanctified. Remember how we looked at how sanctification has two parts? We've been sanctified, set apart, holy, Yet we're being sanctified and made into the image of Jesus Christ. Paul now goes on in this chapter to show that that understanding our new position in Christ will help us in living it out. Notice a lot of the words he used were trying to help you reckon, try to help you realize, help you understand what's happened now that you're in Christ, what's available to you now that you're in Christ. And so he wants you to understand you have a new position. You're a new creation. Y'all, y'all know 2 Corinthians 5.17, hopefully. You say, well, I don't know it by, by address. Well, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old is gone, the new has come. We're going to let that sink in, that truth be realized in our, in our hearts, not just that we can quote the verse, because that will help you as you deal with the old self and wrestling against the flesh and saying yes to the spirit and no to the flesh is to understand I'm a new creation now. Something's different in me. Even though I'm tempted by some things that I were tempted with before Christ, 
there's something different about my position. And we're going to start to take a look at some of those things as we move into our study a little bit tonight and some more as we go on. Satan wants us to believe that we're still the same old person. You're not. You're not the same old person. Paul uses our spiritual baptism into Christ, which our water baptism, by the way, is a picture of, to illustrate our new position in Christ. Go back to chapter 6 again and look at, look at what he says in verse 2. He says, By no means, how can we who died to sin still live in it? Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death, in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. Now, let me say something to you real quick. He's talking more here than just about your water baptism. He's talking about when you were put into Christ and Christ was put into you. Your water baptism is a picture of what, is, what has already happened spiritually. I don't know if you know this, but I kind of think you probably do. The Bible's full of things that were a picture of pointing to what Christ was going to do. Circumcision was a picture of the cutting away of the flesh, correct? Which was a picture of what Jesus has done for us who have been saved. Colossians chapter 2 says, We have been circumcised, not with the circumcision done by hands, but by the Spirit. Our flesh has been cut away, and now we're a new creation in Jesus Christ. I could go on and on. The, the sacrificial system, they were all a picture of what was going to be accomplished by Jesus himself your baptism as well is a picture of what has been accomplished in Christ. And that's why, for me, if you ask me to baptize you, I'm going to put you down in the water. All right, now here's why. Because the word baptize or baptism, it actually is, it means to dip in and to put in and to dunk. But it's a picture of us being put into Christ. But as I've jokingly said for years, if you really want a clear picture of your baptism being a picture of what happened to, to us, being put into Christ and him into us, keep your mouth open. When you get baptized, don't plug your nose and close your mouth because you're put into him and he's put into you. And I'm going to let the scripture kind of speak to that for us. So go with me to John chapter 14. In John chapter 14, look at verse 10. Jesus says, do you not believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? He says, the words that I say to you, I don't speak of my own authority, but the Father who dwells in me does his works. Now, you do understand and probably believe, I hope, that when Jesus walked on the earth, it wasn't just Jesus. The Father was in him. The Holy Spirit was there, correct? He was in the Father, and the Father was in him. And when he, whatever he did, he only did by the power of the Father and the Spirit through him. He does nothing of his own authority, he said. He only does what the Father has him do, and he has him do, does it by the power of the Father. But look what Jesus says later on now in verses 15 through 20. In John chapter 14, look at verse 15. He says, If you love me, you'll keep my commandments, and I'll ask the Father, and he'll give you another helper. By the way, that word another is in the Greek means of the same kind, just like me. He'll give you another helper to be with you forever even the spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. But you know, you know him, for he dwells with you and will be where? In you. I love this next verse. I will not leave you as orphans. I'm not going to give birth to you spiritually and then leave you on your own. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Yet a little while and the world will see me no more, but you will see me. 
And because I live, you also will live. And in that day, you will know that I'm in my Father, and you're in me, and I'm in you. Hang on for a second. Didn't Jesus just say, I'm going to ask the Father, and he's going to give you the Holy Spirit to help you? And in that day, you'll realize I'm in you? So which is it? Yes, it's all of the above. Jesus is in you, and the Holy Spirit's in you. But you're in him. You want to talk about being baptized in the Spirit. You were put into Christ. He was put into you. Folks, you are swimming in God. But some of you might not still get it. So I've brought a visual aid tonight. Yay. All right. Here's what I want you to do. I want you to get a big envelope. I think that's that letter side, business side. Was that what it called? Was that, what's it called? Number 10. See, I don't, okay, a number 10 envelope. And then you need a number, you know, okay, man, you were starting so good there. A smaller one. And then a little smaller one. And a three by five card. On the three by five card, I want you to write down Jesus or the Holy Spirit or both. All right. Then you take that next size envelope and you put your name on it. Mine says Jim Johnson, but you can put your name. And you're going to take the Holy Spirit, Jesus, and put them inside of the envelope with your name on it. Because the Holy Spirit and Jesus is inside Jim. But Jesus says in that day, you realize that I'm not only in you, you're in me. So we take the next one that's a little bigger and you put Jesus on it. And you put all that in Jesus. And then he not only said that, you'll not only realize that I'm in you and you're in me, but I'm in the Father. I think I'm pretty good, don't you? I, Jesus is in me, but I'm in Jesus, and Jesus is in the Father. I have been baptized in the Holy Spirit. Don't let anybody fool you into thinking you need a second experience or another occasion where you get... No, there's one Lord, one faith, one baptism. Colossians chapter 2, verse 9 says, It in Christ the deity lived in, lives in bodily form, and you have been filled in him. 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 3 says, His divine power has given us everything we need for life and godliness through our knowledge of him. You've already received all of God you're ever going to get. Now it's a matter of learning how to live this out. And that's what we're going to start talking about. Since we are now in Christ, our, whole, our old self was crucified with Jesus and put to death so that we, did you catch that word back in, John, in Romans chapter 6? Look again at verse 4. We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk. Did you catch that? We might walk in newness of life. You're going to choose now whether or not you live in the power that is available to you. You choose on a daily basis whether or not you're going to walk in the spirit or in the flesh. You're a new creation. Before you were saved, you had no ability to walk in the spirit. You were a slave to sin. You were a slave to the flesh. But now you've been set free. You're no longer under the law. We're going to get to that tonight. And we're, you are now in the spirit. You're under grace. You have the ability now within you to live out this power that God has for him to empower you to do the things he has for you to do. But you have to choose. Is it possible for people to be saved and get to heaven, but never in this life really fully experience 
the, what was available to them as Christians when they were in the flesh? Of course. The Bible talks very clearly about 1 Corinthians 3, those who are going to be saved, but only as those escaping the fire, because they didn't really build on the foundation much more than that. That's why Paul wrote what he wrote in Ephesians chapter, one, chapter 3. Go to Ephesians chapter 3. No, we'll go to Ephesians 1. Go to Ephesians 1. We'll, we'll go there. Go to Ephesians chapter 1. Look at verse 15. He says, For this reason, because I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love toward all the saints, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which he's called you, what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints, and what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe, according to the working of his great might, that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion, and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the age to come, and he put all things under his feet and gave him as head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. In verses 13 and 14, right prior to what we just read, he says, in, you, in, you were included in Christ when you heard the message of salvation, the gospel of salvation. And when you believed it, you were sealed by the promised Holy Spirit was a deposit guaranteeing your inheritance. Now, with that understanding that you've been saved, you've been sealed, you've been given the Holy Spirit, my prayer is that the eyes of your heart would be open that you'd understand the hope to which he's called you, the glorious inheritance that we have, not only in Jesus, but also with all the saints. That's another study for another time. And also, he says, and the great power that's available for us who believe. Unfortunately, many, many, many Christians really never move into this understanding. Now, please listen carefully. You'll hear a lot of preachers say what I just said, and then they'll start taking it to an unbiblical realm. We're going to stay grounded in the scriptures. I'm not talking about a power that we have available to us that all of a sudden makes us God and we get to tell God what he's going to do. See, there are preachers out there that will talk to you about the fact that there is a power available to you that most Christians never get to experience and they never move into this realm. And then they start going beyond the scriptures where if you just have enough faith and if you just believe and all this stuff, any teaching that makes you command God is unbiblical teaching. But at the same time, as Vance Habner says years ago, he said this. He said, we're so afraid of going out on a limb theologically, we don't even climb the tree anymore. I want to oh, be balanced. I, wanna, I want all that God has for me. I also don't want to go beyond what is written. So as I use some phrases that some of you might go, uh-oh, is Jim going down that road? Please listen to me. We're going to stay scriptural. But I'm going to tell you this much, myself included, there's more. There's more if we really understand our position in Jesus Christ. All right? Now, at the same time, God's not in a hurry for us to get to those places. He knows when we're ready. He does everything in his season. He has his purposes. So don't tell your brother and sister, oh, I'm here in my walk with the Lord. you got to be here too. Be careful. You've just become God again. He's the one who determines who gets where and when, right? You just walk with Jesus and stop all of a sudden wanting to take over. 
Let God do his work in other people's lives. All right? Since we are now in Christ, our old self was, was uh, sorry, our, our old self was crucified with Jesus and put to death so that we might walk in new, new life and in the power of Christ living within us. Go back to Romans 6. Look at verses 4 through 13. We'll read verses 4 through 13 now. We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death, in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. For if we have been united with him in a death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. We know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing, so we would no longer be enslaved to sin. For one who has died has been set free from sin. Now, if we have died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. We know that Christ being raised from the dead will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over him. For the death he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God. So you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. Don't let sin reign in your mortal body to make you obey its passions. Do not present your members or your body parts to sin as instruments for unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life and your members or body parts to God as instruments for righteousness. As we were reading this, did Galatians chapter 2, verse 20 come to anyone's mind? How our old self was crucified? What does Paul say in Galatians 2.20? I have been crucified with Christ. I no longer live. Yet the life I now live, I live by faith in the Son of God. You understand? You have to remind yourself of this truth. Anybody have any idea why we have to remind ourselves of this truth? Because I can see on a lot of your faces, you're all going, yep, that's right. Hey, you're, you're saying truth, Jim. How can we have to be reminded of it then? There's lots of reasons. Your, <laughs> your, your old flesh, even though it's been cut away and you're a new person in Christ, he left us in these bodies. We have this treasure in jars of clay to show that the surpassing power comes from him. Oh, we also have an enemy who likes to whisper to us and tell us we're the same old person. Anybody here, I want to show a hands because I really think this will help everybody in the room. Anybody here that knows they're saved ever go through a period where you wondered if you were saved? Yeah. Anybody that didn't raise their hands, lying. He's messed with all of us in that way, haven't he? Hasn't he? He's worked us all over in that way. Isn't it amazing how if you go out in the world today and you ask a lost person, are you going to heaven? I think I'm pretty good. And you ask a Christian, you going to heaven? Oh, I hope so, but I'm, you know, I don't know how good I Isn't that crazy? He's telling lost people they're okay. He's telling Christians they're not. It's time we understood what the scripture says and let God be true and every man a liar. But that's going to take a daily, you're going to see this today, a daily reckoning of our minds to the truth of the word of God. Go to Colossians chapter 2. We've already seen this in our previous week's studies Jesus said, sanctify them by your truth. What's truth? Your word is truth. You want to be sanctified? You've got to know what the word of God says. But Jim, I just feel this way. I'm going to look at you lovingly and say, I don't care. It doesn't matter how you feel. What does God say? Yeah, but you don't know. What? No, again, what does God say? 
Colossians chapter 2, look at verses 6 through 15. Therefore, as you received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him, rooted and built up in him and established in the faith just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit, according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world, and not according to Christ. For in him the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily, and you have been filled in him, who is the head of all rule and authority. In him you also were circumcised with a circumcision made without hands by the putting off of the body of flesh, by the circumcision of Christ having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through faith in the powerful working of God who raised him from the dead. And you, who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with his legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. He disarmed the rulers and the authorities, and he put them to open shame, by triumphing over them in him. Go to Colossians chapter 3, look at verses 1 through 10. If you then have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above, where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on the things that are above, not on the things that are on the earth. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. On account of these, the wrath of God is coming. In these you too once walked when you were living in them, but now you must put them all away. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in the knowledge after the image of its creator. Did you catch that? Which is what? Being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. Do you see how this is a process? As much as we have been born again, as much as we are a new creation, as much as the old is gone and the new has come, we don't see it fully yet, do we? I hope no one in here thinks, so I, I think everybody sees it in me. No, we don't yet. But that's not, it's okay, because God's expecting this to happen over time as a process. And he has a different schedule for each of us. And without realizing, because we all still want to be God, we quickly want to determine how fast everybody else ought to be getting in the sanctification process. And the Lord says, relax, I got them taken care of. I'm dealing with you right now. And oh, and by the way, take a deep breath. I'm not in a hurry with you either. Thank God. Thank God for that. Because I know that the enemy whispers in your ear, just like he whispers in mine, that how come I'm not there yet? How come I haven't seen it? How come I'm still struggling with this one sin? How come I still, anybody else? Have, I see a little nod in the head. You, you hear those things too, don't you? And God says, take your eyes off of yourself and put them back on me. And as you're going to see tonight, you want to worship the Lord? The Bible says how we worship the Lord is we say no to the flesh and yes to the spirit on a daily, hour by hour basis. We set our minds 
on things that are above. Now that we have been raised with Christ, let's set our minds that way. We are being renewed in the image of our Creator. Go to Romans 12. Let's, let's go take a look at this. Romans 12, verses 1 and 2. I've talked about it a lot, but I really want you to look at it closely. Romans 12, verses 1 and 2. Now, before we get to verse 12, uh, chapter 12, verse 1, we have to go back to look at the end of chapter 11, all right, because he says pretty much therefore, and it's tied to what's just gone on. Look at verse 33 and following. It says, Oh, the depth of the riches and wisdom and the knowledge of God. Now, hang on for a second. We can't really start there either, can we? Because what has he just said that's made us all of a sudden break out in praise of the wisdom and the knowledge of God? Well, let's go back a little bit more. Let's go back to verse 25. He's been laying out in chapter 11 the fact that God's not done with Israel. He's got a plan for the nation of Israel. He set them aside for right now for a period. And, and they've experienced a hardening in part until the number of Gentile, full number of Gentiles is going to be saved. Look at verse 25. He says, lest you be wise in your own sight, I don't want you to be unaware of this mystery, brothers. A partial hardening has come upon Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles has come in. And in this way, all Israel will be saved. It's all Israel that's at the end of the tribulation period, as we've known from our study. As it is written, the deliverer will come from Zion. He will banish ungodliness from Jacob. And this will be my covenant with them when I take away their sins. Now, as regards the gospel, the, the Jews are enemies for your sake. But as regards election, they're beloved for the sake of their forefathers. And the promise the God made to the forefathers for the gifts and the calling of God are irrevocable. For just as you were at one time disobedient to God, but now have received mercy because of their disobedience, so they too have now been disobedient in order that by the mercy shown to you, they also may now receive mercy. For God has consigned all to disobedience, that he may have mercy on all. And now at the end of laying this all out, Paul pretty much just says, and I don't even fully understand everything that I just said to you. And then he breaks into praise. And listen closely what he says in this praise. Oh, the depth of the riches and the wisdom and the knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and how unscrutable his ways. In other words, you're never going to figure him out. For who has known the mind of the Lord? Or who has been his counselor? Or who has given a gift to him that he might be repaid? What does he owe you? For from him and through him... And to him are all things, to him be glory forever. Amen. Paul says this whole world is about him. For him, through him, to him, it's all about him. Since it's all about him, does he have to even include us in what he's doing? No. Therefore, in view of his mercy, I appeal to you, he then says, I beg you, I beseech you, I urge you, whatever translation you have, because of his mercy, present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your, some say in translation, say reasonable service. Others say spiritual worship. Others say service of worship. Do not be conformed to this world but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. And in the Greek, that's a daily renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Don't miss this. What is your spiritual worship according to Romans chapter 12, 1 and 2? It says it right there. 
submitting your bodies as a living sacrifice. In other words, you choose to lay yourself on the altar daily and say, not my will, but yours. Not my plan, but yours. Now, there's nothing wrong with saying, by the way, um, here's what I'd like. Jesus did pray that in the garden, didn't he? Here's what I'd like. Nevertheless, I lay that down, not my will, but yours. I, God has no problem with you telling him what your will is. Then you can say, not my will, though, but yours. Too many people say, Lord, whatever you want. And God says, now let's get to the heart of the issue. I just want what God wants. Do you? Well, I know that's what I'm supposed to say. Right. But God wants to get to the heart of the issue. And you can't lay your will down if you don't acknowledge what it is. You've heard me use this illustration before, but the preacher asked the farmer, he said, if you had 100 pigs, would you give me 50 of them? Would you give 50 to the church? And he said, preacher, you know me. I love you and I love the Lord. I love the church. And if I had 100 pigs, I'd give 50 of them. If you had, had 50, would you give 25 to the church? Would you give them to the Lord? Preacher, you know I love the Lord. I love the church and I love you. If I had 50 pigs, I'd give 25. The preacher said, if you had two, would you give one? He says, hang on now, preacher. You know I have two pigs. It's easy to talk about it out there, but when it gets to where we really are. But this is your spiritual act of worship. You choose whom you're going to serve. Oh, you've been set free from sin. You've been put into Christ. You've risen to new life in him. But he's made it so that we get to choose to either walk in the flesh or to walk in the spirit. I shouldn't have to say this but I do. We have a mighty power within us that will give us the victory over our flesh if we lose, if, over our flesh. Let's stop there first. I'm going to say it again. We have a mighty power within us that will give us the victory over our flesh. Would you not agree that that's true? So if we lose the battle, is it a power issue? No, it's our issue. We just chose not to use this power. I'm going to say it to you again. We have within us the power to say no to sin. If we choose to not to, we'll lose. Oh, it's, it's more than our iniquity. It's our pride. It's our, oh. Yeah, well, there's lots of levels of it, but yes, definitely. We know it's wrong, but we do it, how? We do it anyway. 1 John 4, 4, write it down, look at it later later on. Greater is he who is in you than he who is in the world. We've already seen Ephesians chapter 1, verse 15 and following how Paul said, Now that you've been saved and the Spirit of God has been put in you, and I've heard of your faith and your love toward all the saints, I know you're really saved. Here's my prayer for you, that the eyes of your heart would be opened, that God would give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation to the knowledge of him. And he's going to do it through his word, that you would know the hope to which he's called you, the glorious inheritance that we have with all the saints, and... The mighty power available for us who believe. That same power that rose Jesus from the dead. Oh, and not only that, he's been seated above all authority. And he has been given as a head to who? We read it. To the church. His body that works things out. He's working through us now in this world for his glory. Father, just as you sent me into the world, I send them into the world. How did he go into the world? He submitted to the Father. He only did what the Father led him to do. He only did it by the, the Father's authority and the Father's power. The words that I say to you are not me saying them. It's the Father doing his work through me. In the same way that he was sent into the world, we've now been sent into the world. But what do we do? We try to go work for Jesus. 
and we already step out of the power of the Spirit. Another show of hand time. Any of you ever heard the term burnout in the Christian life? Let me ask you a question. Does the Holy Spirit ever run out? Didn't he promise rivers of living water we'd never thirst again? So is there a chance that Christians have never really been taught how to work in the power of the Spirit? Oh, be careful. Jim, are you going down that road again? We're going to stay biblical, but let's climb the tree. Let's get lined up with the Word of God. There is, by God's grace, a power available for us who believe. Now it's a matter of slowly, patiently allowing Him to show us how that works. Go to Ephesians chapter 6. There's, there's a couple of seats right over here. Good to see you. And praise the Lord, people coming in are having trouble finding seats. That's good. Go to Ephesians chapter 6. There's a couple of things I want you to see in this very familiar passage. One is we need God's power. And the other is this. <laughs> you got someone working against you. See, I just talked about how you got this power available to you, and we can live in the new life. Don't think that that's all it is. You've got an enemy, and he's in the huddle because we still got these bodies of flesh. Remember how Paul in Romans 7 said, the things I want to do, I don't. Things I want to do, I don't want to do, I do. And he says, who will save me from this body of flesh? We'll deal with that when we get to chapter 7. Look at Ephesians 6, starting in verse 10. Finally. Be strong in the Lord and in the strength of His might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. By the way, how much of the armor do we need to put on? All of it. Why are we to put all of it on, by the way? Why, why aren't, isn't just a few pieces enough? <laughs> There's what? There's holes otherwise, and He's going to get you where you're not covered. Let me just say something to you. If I ever want to play you a game, I want to win. I, I, my wife always gets mad at me and she says, Jim, why don't you just play for the fun of it? Why don't you, why do you always have to win? And I say, look, I do play for the fun of it. Winning is fun. But it's to say you and I want to go play a little ping pong. I'm going to give you a little heads up right now. I'm going to say, hey, let's just warm up. Let me just tell you right now, I don't need to warm up. What I really want to do in warming up is find out, can you, can you hit a backhand? Do you not like the top spin or do you not like the back spin? I'm in my warm-up trying to find out where you're weak so that when we play for the fun of it, I can go after your weaknesses. You understand? If you're lacking in an area of the armor of God, where do you think Satan's going to go after you? And for those of us that all raised our hand that we all went through that struggle of, am I really saved? There was an, an area of our armor that wasn't cinched on. That wasn't for me. Go to Ephesians 6. We're, we're digressing here. Go back to verse, uh, verse 12. For we don't wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities. You notice this is plural. Against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. I don't think we have enough time to let that sink in. Because we always think Satan's after us. You're giving him way too much credit. He can't be everywhere. Oh, but don't worry. He's got plenty of help. And way more powerful than you. But greater is he who's in you 
than all that. That's why when Jesus came on the scene, he was casting out demons to show you don't, you don't just cast out someone unless someone greater and stronger is come in. And he says, if I cast out demons by the power of God, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. Listen to what he says next. Therefore, since we have this battle against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all to stand firm. Stand therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth, and having put on the breastplate of righteousness, and as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one, and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, praying at all times in the Spirit with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints. Hang on for a second. Does that sound like something you can do, just walk out of here and do? This is going to be something you're going to be doing the rest of your life. This is going to be something that you're going to get better at and better at over time. But let me also say this to you. You're also going to have to start fresh every day. You could have a great day tonight and tomorrow morning have to start all over. But that's okay. It's a part of the process. But you have someone working in you. You have someone working in you, but you have to let him. You have to let him. Just as you used to offer your bodies to sin, now offer your body to the one who's in control. Remember years ago, there was this guy that went in and killed all these uh, children in, in like, a, a, like, a, like a Mennonite community somewhere like in Pennsylvania. And that whole community forgave him. Within minutes, they forgave him. And I remember someone saying, I could never do that. And my answer was, neither could they. That was Jesus. That was supernatural. That power is available to us, we believe. But you have to learn how to say no to the flesh and yes to the spirit. Go to Romans chapter 8. Look at verses 9 through 14. Romans 8, 9 through 14. You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the spirit, if, in fact, the spirit of God dwells in you. And anyone who doesn't have the Spirit of Christ doesn't belong to Him. But if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the Spirit is life because of righteousness. If the Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, He who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through His Spirit who dwells in you. Did you all ever think about the fact that Jesus went 40 days and 40 nights with no food? How in the world? How come Moses, just being in the presence of God, was, was there with no sustenance? Something happened supernaturally that overrode the physical necessities, correct? And the disciples came to Jesus, and when he was talking with the woman at the well, and they said, eat something, and he said, I have food that you don't even know about. There is an ability of God to supersede even natural laws in his power to take care of us spiritually and physically at times. 
don't take it to unbiblical realms. Don't all of a sudden say that that means any time and every time he's going to do that. No, you go back and you look later on at Hebrews chapter 11. Remember where, where it talks about the Hall of Fame of Faith? And you go back and look at verses 33 and following, and it talks about how some women received their children back from the dead, others conquered armies, others were, uh, escaped the edge of the sword, and then immediately goes on and says others were tortured, others were killed by the sword, others were sawn in two, some wandered in deserts and caves, and all of these were commended for their faith. Is that power available? Yes. Does God use it at all times in the way we want him to physically? No. But at the same time, those same people that were sawn in two or they were killed by the sword also experienced something supernatural in the midst of the physical suffering that you'll never understand unless you're there. And trust me, the time period that I went through in 2017 with non-Hodgkin's lymphoma and chemo and radiation, I don't want to go through it again. But I can tell you this much. I experienced things in my walk with the Lord that I would never have ever experienced if it wasn't for that time. He shows up in power in ways that you just can't understand unless you're there. But that's only for those times. When you need it, it'll be there. But I also had to choose whether or not I was going to live in the spirit or live in the flesh. And my wife will tell you there were some days that I didn't live in the spirit where I would say, just let me go. Go to Galatians chapter 5. Look at verses 16 through 25. Galatians 5, 16 through 25. But I say, walk in the Spirit. Walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the spirit, and the desires of the spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. But if you are led by the spirit, you're not under the law. Now the works of the flesh are evident. The sexual morality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things, in other words, who, those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. He's not saying those who do this once in a while. He said, this is the way you live. You don't have the spirit in you. But the fruit of the evidence of the spirit is love and joy and peace and patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things, there is no law. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, in other words, if we've been born again by the Spirit, let us also, though, keep in step with the Spirit. Walk in the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. Has anybody noticed in a lot of these passages that I've been sharing with you, you keep seeing the phrase, you're not under the law? we got to deal with that. That's very important for you because for many of you, and I'm going to share this with you, I know this is true because it's what had me get stuck in my sanctification process for a long time. As we never, I never fully started to understand what it means that I'm no longer under the law. I could say it, and I've read it all through the Bible, but it didn't sink in. Go to Romans 6 and look at verse 14. Romans chapter 6, verse 14. For sin will have no dominion over you, since you are not under law, but under grace. 
I want you to listen closely to this. Once we are in Christ, it is no longer a matter of doing good versus doing bad, as much as it is a matter of walking in the Spirit or not, living out of our new nature by faith on a daily basis or not. This is what I want you to see. Many of us are still trying to become sanctified by not doing the bad things and doing the good things, right? You're focusing on, did I do good or did I do bad? I touched on this last time we were together, how I've had so many years over the years, people come to me as a pastor and say, if I do this, is it sin? Or if, if I, where's the line? How close to sin can I get without crossing the line? When the Bible actually says we should be trying to see how close to Jesus we can get. If you walk in the spirit, you won't gratify the desires of the fish, the flesh. The fact that you're actually seeing how close to sin can I get without crossing the line says something's wrong with your heart. But actually, God's not measuring for his children, those who have been born again. He's not measuring us by how whether or not we do the right things or do the wrong things. He's looking at whether or not we live by faith in the power of the spirit or not. That's what he's measuring now. We're not being judged by the law. We've been set free from the law, and we're now under grace. What does that mean, though, to live this way? Well, go with me to 1 Timothy chapter 1 and look at a verse that maybe some of you have never really ever seen. 1 Timothy chapter 1, look at verses 5 through 11. In 1 Timothy chapter 1, starting in verse 5. Paul says, the aim of our charge is love that issues from a pure heart and a good conscience and a sincere faith. Let me read that again. The aim of our charge is love that issues from a pure heart and a good conscience and a sincere faith. Certain persons, by swerving from these, have wandered away into vain discussion, desiring to be teachers of the law without understanding either what they're saying or things that, about which they make confident assertion. Now we know that the law is good if one uses it lawfully. Understanding this, that the law is not laid down for the just, that's Christians, but for the lawless and disobedient, for the ungodly and sinners, for the unholy and profane, for those who strike their fathers and mothers, for murderers, sexually immoral, men who practice homosexuality, enslavers, liars, perjurers, and whatever else is contrary to sound doctrine in accordance with the gospel of the glory of the blessed God with which I have been entrusted. Here he's dealing with guys that came into the church and were teaching people to go back under the law. And they te became teachers of the law. Folks, there's movements out there still today that say that we have to obey the Sabbath and honor the Sabbath. And if you're not worshiping on Saturday and all this stuff, let me say something to you. I obey the Sabbath and I honor the Sabbath every day I trust in Christ. I rest in Him. I've ceased from my labors in order to get saved. And I honor the Sabbath, which was a picture of what has been accomplished in Christ. When I rest in Jesus, I'm honoring the Sabbath. I don't just do it on Saturday. I do it every day. The Bible is very clear. In Colossians chapter 2, verse 16, Do not let anyone judge you on whether or not you keep a new moon festival or a Sabbath day. These are a shadow of the things to come. The reality has been found in Christ. Oh, but he also says in Romans 14, one considers one day more sacred than another. Another considers every day alike. Each one should be fully convinced in their own mind because the one who honors that day does it in honor of the Lord and the one who honors every day does it in honor of the Lord and to his own master stands or falls. Do you see the danger? 
Don't even say, well, I'm right and you're wrong. The moment you start getting into I'm right and you're wrong, you're measuring yourself by whether you do good or do bad. And that's not how God measures us. We're not under do you do good or do bad. He's looking for what? Faith. Faith expressing itself in love. Go to Romans 14. Look at verses 17 through 23. Romans 14, look at verses 17 through 23. For the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. Whoever thus serves Christ is acceptable to God and is approved by men. So then let us pursue what makes for peace and for mutual upbuilding. He goes on and he says, do not for the sake of food destroy the work of God. Everything is indeed clean, but it is wrong for anyone to make another stumble by what he eats. It's good not to eat meat or drink wine or do anything that causes your brother to stumble. The faith that you have, keep between yourself and God. Blessed is the one who has no reason to pass judgment on himself for what he approves. But whoever has doubts is condemned if he eats because the eating is not from faith. Listen closely. For whatever does not proceed from faith is sin. You may have strong convictions about something and you don't feel comfortable doing certain things in your walk with the Lord. You better not do them. Do not, though, all of a sudden start to look around at the people around you and see whether they're doing them or not. Because you've just made yourself who? God. Romans 14, verse 4. Who are you to judge the servant of another? To his own master he stands or falls, and the Lord is able to make him stand. But if you have a peace and the spirit of God who's in you is giving you peace and it doesn't contradict the word of God. Go ahead. You're not under law. You're under grace. That's why Paul, who said, look, if anybody says you have to be circumcised in order to be saved, let that person be cursed. Let them cut the whole thing off. Yet that same Paul in another situation, had Timothy circumcised so he could go share the gospel. Why? Because in that instance, it wasn't a salvific issue. It wasn't tied to Timothy's salvation. It just let him go into certain places so he could share the gospel. I've seen so many Christians fighting with each other over vaccines or no vaccines. And you got strong opinions. Would you not agree that some certain Christians have some strong opinions? And they think that their strong opinion is God's opinion. Mm-mm. You better know what God told you, and you better be okay with the fact that he might say something to somebody else about that issue and be okay with it. Because the issue is not right or wrong. That's law. The issue is anything that doesn't proceed from faith is sin. I want to chase something, but we don't have time. Go to Galatians chapter 5, look at verse 6. Galatians 5, look at verse 6. We've already seen verse 16 where it says, I say walk in the Spirit and you won't gratify the desires of the flesh. Look at Galatians chapter 5, though, verse 6. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision counts for anything, but only what? Faith working through love. That's what God's looking for from you and I. You want to experience this sanctification process that he's in? You've got to stop judging whether or not you're doing right and doing wrong 
and deal with, am I doing, am I walking in faith in what I believe he said for me to do? Am I trusting in him or am I trusting in my own self? Where is, where is my dependence right now? Is it on him or on how good I've done? Do you understand? You could actually get so focused on doing right or doing wrong for the Lord, you stop following Jesus. Now, I know that this is deep, but that's why I get to rest in the fact of if you get this, he helped you see it, not me. And I also understand, as much as I want to, that in a room this size, not everybody's going to walk out of here going, I get it. It used to bother me, too, when people would go, man, I'm even more confused now than I was before. And I'm like, oh, what a failure I am. And then God says, no, you said what I told you to say. If they get it today or get it tomorrow, that's up to me. The word never goes out void. Go to Romans chapter 7. Well, that's a great point. Sheila just said that's the importance of spending time in the word ourselves and allowing God to speak to us. Because if you don't know what the promises of God are, how are you going to call on them in faith? That's right. Go to Romans 7. Look at verses 4 through 6. He says, Likewise, my brothers, you also have died to the law through the body of Christ, so that you may belong to another, to him who has been raised from the dead, in order that we may bear fruit for God. For while we were living in the flesh... Our sinful passions aroused by the law were at work in our members to bear fruit for death. But now we are released from the law, having died to that which held us captive, so that we serve in the new way of the spirit and not in the old way of the written code. See, the thing that got me hung up as a young Christian and even as I was pastoring churches was the fact that I never really started to move into understanding God's not measuring me according to the written code anymore. He's measuring me now according to faith, obedience, to what he's talking to me about. Take your eyes off everybody else and walk with Jesus and let him do his work in you. And if you feel a freedom and he's given you because we've been set free from the law. By the way, if you walk in the spirit, you won't gratify the desires of the flesh. You won't break the law. You'll keep the law. You learn how to walk in the spirit, you, you're no longer measured by the law. My, my daughter will tell you, as she works for our ministry, I've told her over and over, I'm not going to be a boss who keeps track of how many hours you've worked. There's going to be times, and she'll tell you, that she works later than 9 to 5 or earlier than 9 to 5. But there's also going to be other times that I say to her, if the spirit of God gives you freedom to take a nap, go take a nap. Because we're not measuring you on, did you do your job? Did you? Now, some of you, I understand, to have bosses that aren't Christians and they don't understand this stuff, and you better be obedient to the bosses that you have. But I want to be a godly type of a boss with my daughter. And the more important thing is, are you doing what you believe God's wanting you to do right now? If you are, your work will be pleasing, your work will get done, and you will learn to experience the joy of working for the Lord. If you're more worried about, I, I, when I was a pastor of a church, I used to a lot of times go to associate pastor's offices about two or three in the afternoon, and I would just start doing this with the light switch. And they're like, what are you doing? I'm like, go home. You're going to have to be back here tonight anyway for a youth meeting or choir practice or whatever. Go spend some time with your family. 
And they'd say, well, I got to, you know, clock, we don't clock out till five. I'm like, you're going to be here past five tonight. Just go, go home. And the whole time I'm doing this with the light switch on, off, on, on, off. They're like, you're going to give me a seizure. I'm like, well, you better leave then because you don't want a seizure. <laughs> but you know what the problem was? As much as I knew that was the right way to do it and I'd make them all go home, I would then go sit in my office until five. I didn't feel free enough to do it myself because I was worried about what everybody was thinking. Because as a pastor of a church, I'd have so many people say, well, I went by the church and you weren't there. Or how come you never visited me? What do you want from me? Either I'm at the church or I'm out. You know what? And I'm still working on this. I'm learning that the Christian life is not about whether or not I do right or do wrong in the eyes of the people around me. Am I doing what Jesus is telling me to do on a daily basis? And you're going to find the Christian life is a whole lot more fun than we've made it. Jesus says in Matthew chapter 11, these people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. Listen, teaching as commandments the doctrines of men. Tell me that hasn't described the church over the years, hasn't it? We've tried to become sanctified by putting ourselves back under the law. The law wasn't written for the just. It was for the unholy to drive us to Jesus. And then Jesus just says, follow me. There's going to be periods we bust it. There's going to be other periods we take naps in boats. We're going we're to just learn that balance of walking with him. Now, we don't have time to go on any further. And so we're going to stop here and we'll pick up next week when we come. But I just can't wait to show you the rest of this. I love you. We'll see you in a week. Thanks for coming.